Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And imagine working your whole life to play ball. And finally, the day comes, you get drafted to the minors, you're playing for the Dodgers, and then you had to make a hard decision. Do you continue to play ball or do you go into blockchain? Well, that's the decision our next guest had to make, Mr. Tyler Atkinson. He was playing for the Dodgers and now he's heading a blockchain head fund. But before we get into that conversation, please, wherever you are listening to your podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating and a comment. And also, please tell your friends and family to listen to Crypto 101 to get the 101s on all things crypto. I also want to give a special thank you to the patrons. Patrons, thank you for being patrons and supporting the show. And if you're thinking about being a patron, any amount would help. We would really appreciate it. I also want to say a special thank you to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode and that this is not legal advice, financial advice, trading advice, or personal advice. And now, without further ado, here's Tyler. We'll see you after the show. Tyler Atkinson, Managing Partner of Black Terra Capital. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Man, we're about two degrees of separation because we've known a couple of friends. One of our friends is always in Taiwan. I know him from Taiwan. And then we all, you're also based in San Diego. So you know our boys over at XYO. I, I can't believe we never met before, but we just met the other day. The blockchain world is a crazy thing, right? And I feel like everyone knows everyone. And it's a very... Uh... It's a very nice world also. I feel like the traditional markets, traditional finance might be a little different, but in the blockchain world, it's a, it's pretty pretty collaborative. You have an interesting story, man. You were drafted by the Dodgers, you were playing pro ball, and you said, nope, I'm going to do blockchain. That's not only ballsy, a leap of faith as you called it, and I really under, want to understand that story and how you got to wanting to manage a blockchain hedge fund. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a long story, um, just like any overnight story it was 10 years in the making right so um it's kind of a just a matter of chasing passions and trying to bridge gaps between professional athletes and the next generation global financial system so just trying to do my part man let's let's start at the beginning man where were you born talk about growing up bro born and raised in los angeles i was born in santa monica actually which now i think is referred to as blockchain beach i think they call it <laughs> um grew up in culver city which is um the heart of Screenland. so grew up around a lot of like tv shows and all that kind of stuff was there my whole life was baseball, though, so um, kind of had a different different upbringing, but everyone has their own story, right? So you, your upbringing was baseball. What what gave you a love for baseball? For me, I love baseball. It's the only sport I actually follow, pay attention to. I don't care about any other sport, and that comes from my dad and my uncle. Just watching it, playing it, playing Little League, stuff like that. What was your story with baseball? Yeah, I've, I've tried to figure it out. I'm pretty sure I was just born with a bat in my hand. This that was my, my first love. It must, must have been love, love at first sight because I didn't really try any other sports and um, it's kind of a molded who I am, whether it's a competitor or uh, just that the community is a very small baseball community in sports. All my best friends growing up are now doing very well in baseball, and it's kind of cool to have that unique perspective um, from the inside the sports world looking out on life. So um, I can't pinpoint it, but it's somewhere in there. So you, you grew up in just playing Little League, all that other stuff. You went through high school playing ball. You went into college. I'm assuming you played uh, college ball as well? Yeah, I went to San Diego State. I was fortunate to get a scholarship to play there. I was actually Tony Gwynn's last player, a part of that last class. Um, Tony Gwynn's, oh, if you don't know, one of the most legendary baseball players of all time. Um, mm-hmm. He's in the Hall of Fame. So that was really cool to be um, under his wing and just be able to learn and soak it all up. So I think uh, that was definitely definitely a good big part of the story for, for baseball. When it comes to playing professional, like – is it a natural ability or did you work hard at it? Because the way that I look at it is like you either have a natural ability and you just go in there and you start just crushing balls out of the park or you just like go out and you swing every 
day and just like work on your on your um your trade what, what was it for you yeah i mean i guess we met a few times now so you know i'm not the biggest or strongest guy in the world right or the fastest guy or anything so um i think what i learned through baseball is having that x factor about yourself right for me it was kind of just the relentless pursuit to always improve whether it's you know the idea of having that one percent a day improvement just compounding that i learned with the dodgers that everything is measured and calculated one of my coaches um Tarek brock pounded that in my head and i think you can that's kind of a reason why i was able to go farther than most in baseball because i kind of took the analytical approach and try to use whether it's every ounce of my body or every angle or every exit velocity to my advantage um i think it was a combination of your athleticism and just that relentless pursuit to fine-tune a craft i guess with fine-tuning that craft i mean you're you're very focused on baseball when did Bitcoin and blockchain catch your eye? Were you always just, you know, doing so, some new things with tech, always chasing the new thing? Were you always just like, you know, having a side hustle while you were playing baseball? What, when did blockchain come into your vision? I feel like growing up in all the noise of Santa Monica and Culver City, it's very an innovative tech area, um, whether it's like the YouTube headquarters or places like that. But I guess if we back up, it's just my family history. So my family, my cousin, more specifically, was a, a pioneer in the gaming space. He created Wizard of the Coast, which published uh, Magic the Gathering, owned Dungeons and Dragons, and published Pokemon cards. Wait, 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 wait. You're, so, he owned Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Dude, that's um, huge. Yeah. yeah, no, so it was, it was pretty pretty cool. Um, I remember, because um, he, he owns Gen Con, which is the largest gaming convention in North America. So growing up, he'd send like these cardboard cutouts of like Call of Duty figures and stuff, and they'd be around the house. Um so yeah, so that was kind of had my mind on that, and that ties into crypto because the first Bitcoin exchange was actually created for and named after Magic the Gathering to trade Magic the Gathering cards. So um, Mountain Gox stands for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Um, so that kind of that's where the, those servos tie in. A lot of a lot of Bitcoiners or gamers, and um, you know all the cypherpunk nerds, kind of those worlds mesh up nicely, right? Basically, you're around like all kinds of nerds for the most part growing up magic the gathering dungeon dragons players or or you know people that were looking at tech and things like that nerds not being a bad descriptor nerd is just being a person of certain hobbies but when mancox had its hack you were it was, it was four years ago you were about 19 years old were you looking at bitcoin at that time or was it still off your radar at that point, I was—I mean, I definitely heard of it. It was on my, on my radar, but um, I was full go playing college baseball, um, training, trying. I was in business school too, so I was trying to lay a foundation for the rest of my life in college um, through business school. Um, I did general business. I wanted to know a little bit about a lot of things and build up from that instead of getting too specific while playing Division One baseball. It's a long story, but so I, uh, I had my mind on it, but at the same time, my my north star was playing professional baseball. So you know, that's kind of that was kind of. Um, step one and then step two was going to be the rest of my life and capital markets has always been the uh, the goal playing professional ball when were you drafted to the dodgers uh was it 2017 i think uh, what was it yeah, like what was it like for you what was it like for your family your friends your girlfriend or whoever like what was the feeling because i don't think a lot of people have that experience in their life it's hard to explain because your entire life you lived a certain way, right? So it's kind of like just another step in the process. A really cool experience, obviously. But um, when all of your friends are going through the exact same thing and they're all getting their names called on draft day, it's you're not really see yourself as like an anomaly. You kind of see yourself as just another name being called amongst your peers, hmm. right? So um, it was really exciting. All my all my closest friends pretty much all either played college baseball or professional baseball or still do. 
but it's my athlete friends. I have two sets of friends, and you know the nerd friends and the athlete friends. Um, <laughs> but uh, all my athlete friends are still playing professional ball. Still see them all the time. So, yeah, it was really cool. Super, I'm, my family is super proud. Um, and just kind of one of those things in the moment, you just don't, you just try and soak it in. But it's just kind of like, you know, what's next? Like, hey, you get drafted. Congrats! Now, now I'll actually go and do something with it, right? Right. So there's always a, you're always chasing something. So I think that's important in life to always be chasing something as well. That's that's interesting because it's like. It was almost expected for you. You 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 saw your friends getting drafted, but what would you have felt if you didn't? I went through that. Um, so I was eligible to get drafted the year before, and um, had a great year in college, and didn't get drafted. Um, didn't even get a call. And I was hoping, you know, I might have might have had a chance, you know. So um, I definitely went through that disappointment the year before, and that kind of was what drove me to um, put in overdrive, even though overdrive was was the was the normal gear for me, anyways, to really just just go for it. So. Um, Definitely experienced those lows and experienced those highs, and uh, it sucks to fail, right? So that kind of fuels the fire, and that's and anything in life, I think you can learn from that, those failures. That's actually when you learn the most, I think. Playing ball, if you go to the big leagues, you are gonna make good money, man. You're gonna make good money. I think what what is the starting salary in the big leagues? Like two two seventy five. I mean, but nobody gets that. In the major leagues, the minimum is five hundred five thousand. Shit, but, um, well, I don't know where I got two seventy five. Then five hundred five. Hundred five. There you go. Yeah, I guess that's I and mean, that's the a, a nice reward, right? I guess for playing baseball. Um, but for me, it was more about um, you know, what am I building for in the future? I like to say like fast forward five years, and I could play baseball maybe five more years, and or who knows? But just let's say five years, and after that, if I stop playing, then what would happen? Right? I'd mm-hmm. be twenty eight years old trying to build a foundation for the rest of my life. And that's kind of, um, well, it didn't sound too appealing to me at least, right? I basically just wanted to um, start the rest of my life. And you can only play a kid's game forever. Some people said I was crazy to stop playing baseball. Some people said I would've been crazy to keep playing baseball, right? So it's all about perspective and what your personal goals are. And for me, it uh, it came down to passion, man. But you're, okay, that's, so you're, what, what was the passion then? I mean, you were passionate about baseball. You lived your life for baseball. You got a chance to go to the major leagues and, and you know, make not, make great money, maybe even make a huge name for yourself, be on a trading card with some bubble gum in the pack. You know, what? That that's, that's what you were living for. What was the other passion that made you decide against baseball? Because... From an average person's perspective, the people that watch the TV, the people that watch, you know, the the, the ball players, you know, and go to the games and 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 buy the peanuts and the cracker jacks, we think that is the pinnacle of making it in your trade. What was the different passion? And what was that choice that you made? Yeah, I mean, it's basically just, it's finance. Um, that's I mean, that's kind of always I was wanted to do. I was wanted to be the hedge fund manager. The you know the you, you watch like the Big Short or the Wolf of Wall Street, those kind of movies. Um, and like that was, that was kind of like the, uh, the the vision, right? Like maybe a goal is 26.2 miles. You can measure that. And a vision is having a clear understanding of what you want to do, but no idea how to get there. Um, the vision for me was always to be that finance guy. And um, and baseball is kind of like the goal. Like when you you can you can tangibly achieve something in baseball. And then I kind of always want to always want to chase something and and leave a legacy. Always be challenged and and help other athletes too. I decided basically the bottom line was to help athletes instead of be one. I think in the long term, building a company and a legacy around that, it would be more rewarding for me. So mm-hmm. um, if that answers a passion question, it's kind of a lot of different directions. But uh, I think I got the message kind of across. When you were making that choice to go from baseball into finance, what kind of blowback from other people? You said that you know people are saying you're crazy, but that's very easy to say. 
what did your dad say? What did your mom say? What did your friends say? What would, what was their general reaction to saying, yeah, I did this. I'm done. Now I'm going to go do something else. The toughest call that I had to make was to my dad to, when I was decided I was going to actually go for it and, and retire just cause you know, all the, all the memories growing up, you go into traveling around the country, playing baseball and all that stuff. Um, and it obviously had to end at some point, just decided to end it sooner than decided to hang the cleats up instead of the cleats being taken away from me, I guess. Um, the athlete friends thought it was crazy. The nerd friends thought it was genius, right? So it depends on which friends and the perspective there. Um, <laughs> yeah, just the, twi- the twi- Twitter trolls were kind of funny. Um, you know, it's just uh, finding any reason to try to do anything. So it was, I think it was net positive just from the support side of things. But um, I mean, when you're making ripples in, in the in the water, you know, people react differently and doesn't really matter, but you just kind of always be cognizant of what's going around you and, and noticing that thing, those things. Did you get any calls from uh, some of your friends in the majors saying like, bro, you're, you're, you're crazy? Yeah, both. Some, some of them said that I would have been crazy to play baseball for five more years and some would have said that I was crazy to stop giving up on the dream, right? So mm-hmm. everyone's different. I'm still hanging out with them all the time. Um, I was with my buddies last week and the week before that. And I'll probably be them next, next week because it's off season right now. So we're just hanging out and stuff and Nothing's really changed. It's just now we're uh, living different lives, but we're also the same people, right? So, so I want to talk about before I talk about the transition of baseball to what you're doing now, Black Terra Capital. My my question is to you: Who was the most exciting person that you met in the baseball space? Oh, that's tough. Like, who are you excited? I mean, like, I know you met a lot of people. You're probably ro- rolling around and stuff like that. But there's probably that one person that you just came across, and you're just like, I can't believe I just met that dude. Yeah, I mean. Dude, that's, that happens all the time. Um, I think from the Dodgers, two people that I got to spend some time with um, in spring training, I thought it was really cool. The first one was uh, Gabe Kapler. Um, he was my farm director, and Gabe Kapler is kind of a 2004 Red Sox World Series hero. He's a really cool guy. Um, well, him and Dave Roberts were. I met Dave Roberts is really cool. He was a manager for the Dodgers, um, also a hero with the four Red Sox. They're kind of my superiors with the Dodgers. Really cool guys, great leaders. Um, I think Gabe's one of the best leaders I've seen in my entire life, and it shows because he's now the manager for the Phillies and turned them around last year. Mm. And um, I think Eric, Eric Gagne, too. He's a Dodger legend, Cy Young Award winner. He worked out with us in spring training, and um, he's a uh, he's also a crypto enthusiast, so we've had some great conversations about that as well. But yeah, no, this, I mean, I don't want to single anyone out because all the guys are amazing. They all have their own story. It's so cool to see guys from like Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, Germany, um, Japan, Korea, all in the same locker room and just get perspective on on the world so i think each each encounter was unique and eye-opening honestly so it was really a cool experience what makes a good leader you said he was a very great leader what does that mean uh, for gabe he's an he's an alpha he's an alpha male man he uh, he leads by example he's the kind of guy that when he's working out with you he's the one that's lead, leading it his his experience his presence um he implements professional freedom basically in his in the culture for the dodgers they run like a, a two billion dollar company that's what they are and um, it shows how they play on the field. So they're super into technology. Um, they're super into innovation. It's actually in their core values. Um, so I think that from his perspective, that's kind of where he thrives is, is leading, leading charge. I, I'm sorry to keep going down this road, but I'm just very curious. If that's what makes a good leader to you, what makes a bad leader? And have you had one? Not saying to name any names, but what, what was their qualities to, that made them a bad leader? If you're in a leadership position, um, people need to to follow your lead, right? So if you're not doing things right, um, whether maybe not, you're not on time or you're you can't you can't speak to the crowd and get people r- um, rally together to 
chase the same similar goal or pull from the same side of the rope. I mean, not going to call any people out or anything, obviously, but like I think that would be sort of on the bad leadership thing. And just because you're a bad leader doesn't mean you can't be a good teammate, right? Right. But I think, uh, yeah, everyone has a role. How does bad leaders become leaders then? I mean, I, there, it happens all the time. You have uh, you know people that in leader, leadership positions that are just poor leaders. Why does that happen, and how do you think that can change? Well, that just comes down to Darwinism, man. Survival of the fittest. If you're going to have a group of people led by someone that's weak at the top, you're only as strong as your weakest, weakest link and as weak as your strongest link. So, um, I mean, that's... <laughs> I think there's there's no on or off, on or off switch, right? I feel like um, if I had a formula, then I wouldn't be here right now. And I feel like the world would be a different place for everyone. <laughs> Black Terra, what was the inspiration for creating this company? I'm lucky to have a lot of a lot, a couple um, awesome mentors. Um, one of them specifically, he played baseball at San Diego State, and he used to own a flight school, and now runs a boutique venture capital firm. His name. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Will Dryden. And um, he really took me under his wing when I was playing ball. And I was um, landing upon some organic demand to create a vehicle of investment for crypto assets. Um, mm. All my teammates were asking me, like, what are you doing? How do you do it? And can you do it for me? Mm. And I'm sitting there like, no, no. And I don't know, you know, how to help them. So uh, I went to him and uh, he helped me with um, forming the company, all the legal work, um, creating the pro, like pro forma, all the you know the stuff that you you would learn as you do it, but if you haven't done it before, you know you would need some guidance on, right? So I think that that's kind of a how that helped me get started with that. Long story short, is you heard a lot of other baseball players saying, "Hey, what is Bitcoin? What is blockchain? How do I invest?" And you said, "Bro, I don't know. Hey, can you help me invest?" You're like. I'm not messing with your money. And then you're like, hey, you know what? There's enough people to actually probably make a business out of this. And you said, we're going to make a business out of this. I mean, long story short, I mean, so an entrepreneur, they try to find a problem to solve, right? Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to have a problem land on my lap to solve. Like I literally had, so one of my teammates um, was from Venezuela. And I'm sure you know at this point that they're experiencing hyperinflation. Store of value is, is non-existent for them. You can't leave the country with the capital. There's capital constraints, everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um so my teammate asked me, he's in, in broken English through um, through Google Translate on his phone. He asked me, um, like 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 how do I buy Bitcoin? Like I like because hyperinflation was staring him in the face and he was scared. No shit. He literally when he goes back to his home country, he has to pay off the security guards on the way out just to get out of there. Um, so that was kind of an eye opening story for me just to see see how people, other than in the U.S., actually there's actual real demand for it at this time, mm -hmm. even in, in 2018. So that was really eye-opening, right? Because um, currencies in, in Amer the American mind is um, are stable. You know, they're deflationary, but four percent a year, three percent a year. You can you can rely on it. You know, having value tomorrow. But in other countries, Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, um, Greece, they, they failed less than ten years ago. Um, right. You know, other countries that's that's not the case. And even China, you can't you can't really leave the country with your with your own money. Um, nope. So how, how can you solve these problems? Um, 
So I think uh, over time, you know, the, the genie's out of the bottle, right? The, um, whether it's a non-sovereign store value, whether it's a con consensus me mechanism, whether it's the Web 3.0 stack, eventually it's, it's going to um, help shape the world just like Web 1.0 did. And now a word from our sponsor. With the new year ahead, it's time to set goals to make sure it will be a strong one for you and your business. Making that perfect hire can help set up your team for success. But where do you find that person? You can post a job on job boards and hope the right person will apply. But why leave it up to chance when you can post your job where people go every day to make connections, grow their career, and discover job opportunities? LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking for jobs regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People with the right skills and backgrounds for your role who are also already looking for something new. It's the best way to find a new person who will help you grow your business. And that's why a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. So find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash crypto and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the show. I think it's probably beneficial if we understand how uh, professional baseball players from other countries work within these organizations. Are they hired and paid in U.S. dollars at the at the minimum, like we said, five hundred five? Are they contracted out? Are they paid in their home countries? It was that probably the part of the problem is that they're getting paid in Venezuela for their contribution to the to the organization, or were they trying to send money back as remittance? Or I'm I'm, I'm kind of confused. What's the problem? Yeah, so you when you when you sign, you, you come to America and work for an American company, so um, or a team, but they're companies, right? So you get paid in U.S. dollars, but the issue is remittance. I literally, multiple of my teammates from the Dominican, I would I would drive them during spring training to Western Union, took like a Walmart or something, so they can send money back home. And the average remittance fee is eight to twelve percent, sometimes eighteen, as much as eighteen cents in a dollar that you're getting taken away from through these rent-seeking intermediaries. Um, right. That's the problem that in the future, technology has enabled those problems to be solved. So just a matter of or when, not if, they'll be solved. So, um, yeah, I've had experience doing that, too. I literally drove my Latin teammates to the Western Union multiple times, and they'd be talking to me through through uh, Google Translate. Um, so there's a lot of lot of issues, just cross-border payments, the whole thing, um, that you really don't realize unless you see it actually right. be a problem firsthand. What is the business model for Black Terror Capital, and where do you see yourself in five years uh, with your current goals? Yeah, so the thesis of Black Terra is that the athletes are crypto curious, not crypto serious, right? So we uh, just just basic exposure. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go into details on the the strategy or anything, but we're hedge fund structure, traditional hedge fund, um, <clears throat> nothing new there, and I think. Um, the thesis now is to help athletes get exposure to the digital asset space because I think that zero uh, percent is the wrong number as far as a portfolio's exposure to um, to digital assets. Mm -hmm. uh, responsible exposure, right? There's there's um, very smart small percentage of the portfolio, and moving forward, um, I think I think the north star would be um, to have a full service wealth management firm to where you could um, have estate planning, tax planning, wealth management, 
real estate, um, insurance, philanthropy, all in one place. Basically be like the, the chief financial officer of the athletes because mm-hmm. um, studies have shown that NFL, NBA, MLB players, after they retire within three to five years, most of them go broke. And um, these are facts, not opinions, right? Which is sad. So their peak income years are so early and so significant, um, they know how to handle it. So I think um, responsibly planning out um, having that wealth last for the rest of their lives because it's not much how, how much you make, it's how much you can keep, would be, I think, the most impactful. That I, The thing that I could help change the most is an athlete scene. Um, and um, people are doing it already, obviously, but um, not at scale because there's still these problems that you see. And I think the relationships that I've been able to build and the friendships I have and, um, and all that, I think we could actually really really make a difference. And I think that it would be the most rewarding use of time. So that's that's my five-year roadmap. Right on. And right now you're you're just target, targeting uh, baseball players or all athletes? Definitely don't want to go into detail, but MLB primarily. Um, NFL, have some friends in NFL, NFL buddies in um, you know, PGA, um, NBA, Olympics. Um, yeah, so I have you know, a lot of friends in, in different places um, all across the board, but not specifically athletes. That's just kind of where my niche fell in naturally to start. Okay, so you, but you, you're going to probably expand that in the future, but this is just where you started because of that's who you know. Yeah, that's just kind of the path of least resistance right now. So I think uh, putting my focus with athletes is where the most opportunity is to help. Right on, man. Right on. Well, good luck with uh, Black Terror Capital in the future. And I think it's personally from a outsider's perspective, not being an, uh, an athlete or ever playing ball. Man, I sucked playing ball when I was a kid. Just sucked. I was super small, so I always was walked. <laughs> I was always on base, hey, but I was always walked. Yeah, on base. There you go. There <laughs> you go. But I never, I never connected. I think once with the ball, with the bat. So, from from a from a personal perspective, it is a huge shift to go from you know being drafted to the Dodgers to saying I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna do my own thing. So I wish you the best of luck, and I think that, well, man, I think actually it's a good decision because blockchain, Bitcoin, the digital asset space is where it is. It's the new emerging tech and. Well, people like you that are coming in there and taking that risk right now are going to be the one that's going to be reaping the rewards in the future. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more, right? You know, you kind of a, when I put my put my skin where my mouth is, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, people underestimate what you can do in two years and overestimate what you can do in 10 or overestimate what you can do in two years and underestimate what you can do in 10. So, yes, there's a lot of, a lot of wooded chops still, but just betting against technology's advancement has historically not been a good bet to make. And um we're kind of making bets on the uh, forefront of the innovation of the internet, and the internet is still so young. If you said whether it's like cars or computers or anything, we're done evolving after 30 years, um, you'd be on the wrong side of that bet, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think the internet um, really democratizes information, and then now you can actually democratize value instead of sending copies, you can send originals now. And I think um, we haven't really even fully under- understood what that could unlock, but it, it could enable, say, the next wave of the Ubers or Airbnbs or Facebooks, things that couldn't happen without the Web 1.0 stack. And they couldn't even imagine what they were. If you said the biggest company in the world, biggest social media company in the world owned no media in the 80s, people would laugh at you. If the biggest real estate company owned no houses, right. they'd laugh at you. Right. They owned, biggest car company owned no cars, they'd laugh at you. So I think um, the laughable business models today are actually being enabled through technology. We just don't know it yet. So I'm really excited to keep studying those trends and see, uh, see what's going to happen moving forward. What do you think of the crypto space these days? The market, the FUD, the, the FOMO, the price fluctuations, the down, the people that are in the space, the influencers, the entertainers, what have you. What do you think of all of this right now? Yeah, um, 
well, all markets are run by human emotion, right? So human emotion is very, it's very predictable. Um, it's kind of crazy, actually. And I think um, it's market cycles, markets go in cycles. That's every market. That's that's the world goes in circles, right? I think this is necessary. I think there's room to go down still. Um, no one knows what's going to happen, but if you look at the top 100 um, by market cap, and there's still companies in the in the multi millions that have nothing but an idea still. I think it's safe to say that they might be overvalued, right? Still. Mm-hmm. So um, if I was to I'm not giving any investment advice, but I think it might be irresponsible to not be heavily in Bitcoin right now. Right. Um, just to see how the storm weathers out. And uh, short term, no one knows what's going to happen. But long term, the space um, has only only room to go up. I feel like um, the markets you address, whether you just look at the a value perspective on Bitcoin, right? Say it only addresses the offshore banking industry, which I think is 20 to 30 trillion. Say Bitcoin captures 10 percent of that 20 trillion. So was that? Two, two trillion, something right. like that. Yeah. So if it captures two trillion, uh, which I think it will, of the offshore banking industry, um, that means it goes from a hundred billion dollar market cap to a two trillion dollar market cap. And I think in the next ten years, even capturing a little bit of that industry is in- inevitable. Right. Um, it's a non-sovereign store of value. Just how you want to have a Swiss bank account to put your money in different places. All those mega corporations have their money in all these different countries because if one judge wants to freeze assets, the company would go bankrupt, right? If Facebook right. had all their assets in one bank, they'd be they dumb. So I think um, there is a need for offshore banking, and there's obviously because it's a thirty trillion dollar industry. Um, so I think even if Bitcoin captures that alone, that's a huge value proposition for what it could be. And that's just scratching the surface. It's not even like cross border payments. That's not there's not even going into utility tokens. That might be a new thing. Who knows? Um, I have no opinion on that right now. But um, yeah, even just um, just security token offerings, just making digital assets or making paper shares digital. And being out of fractional, programmable, globally liquid, 24/7. There's so many things that could happen. So no one knows wh- what's going to be, or where it's going to capture value. But you know, it's enabled now, so that's why it's so exciting. If this was the first podcast, like somebody new getting into the space was listening to, and they heard your story, they heard you, the risk that you took that is the risk that you took in your life is very bullish on Bitcoin and digital assets. What would you want them to know about getting into this space? Yeah, I think there's so much hype around it. I think the most important thing would be to understand that it's not really revolutionary. It's more evolutionary, right? So you see like the Web 1.0 stack and you see information being democratized. And the first application is email. <laughs> and that changed the entire world in 15 years, maybe even less. So then you have the Web 2.0 stack with we have platforms where you can actually publish content and you find out that data is valuable, say like the Facebook model, right? It's a multi-billion dollar company or Probably a person truly, I don't even know. I don't want to. It's a big company, right? And um, it's we newly discovered that data is valuable. And now we're actually, there's this whole privacy movement slowly just happening. Um, and then Web 3.0 stack, we don't know exactly what it looks like yet, but there's a computer science problem that was solved for basically you can have originals instead of copies. So mm-hmm. instead of sending an email that you can copy, you can send an original asset. Um, so you know it's one of 21 million, or you know it's one of power many. And that unlocks now a value because value is scarcity, divisibility, fungibility, portability, and durability, I think is kind of how you can define value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bitcoin checks all those boxes off and Bitcoin is just the first application on the Web 3.0 stack. And we don't know what can happen next, but uh, it, it enables a whole new world. So um, I think just look at it more from an evolutionary standpoint than a revolutionary standpoint. And um, it, it will take time. But so far in 10 years, it's been pretty pretty amazing trip, uh, progress so far. Man, 
I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for your stories. Thanks for what you're doing in the space. And I think that whoever listens to this will probably get a little bit of bullish inspiration because we've had a lot of bearish inspiration this past year. And I think that we need more stories of people that are taking the leap into cryptocurrency, blockchain, and digital assets to inspire and kind of squash the fear that a lot of people are feeling right now because of the price fluctuations. So thank you for your time, sir. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in San Diego. Last question. What three songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist, sir? My walk-up song my last year of college was uh, Tokyo Drift by the Teriyaki Boys. It's kind All of right. <laughs> um, all my teammates love that. Um, not because I'm Asian or anything, right? <laughs> and um, Actually, that, I don't think anybody's going to be able to understand that you're Asian by your voice, but now you just let the cat out of <laughs> the bag. So, Hey, nothing to hide. Um, <laughs> say that. That song, just because it's funny. Um, I live right by train tracks, so I'd say uh, Night Train by Jason Aldean. Right. Um, I love I love country music, and Jason Aldean is um, one of my favorites. And uh, the third song, let's say uh, California Dreamin'. Some good memories college with that one. I think it's by like Armand Seekin or something. I can find it for you. But yeah, I'll go with those three. Final answer. <laughs> cool, brother. Thank you very much, man. You have a good night. Hey, you too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Tyler, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to get to San Diego to get some of that craft brew that San Diego is famous for. In our next episodes of Crypto 101, we have the 23andMe dilemma. What is 23andMe doing with your DNA? And can blockchain help you control that data? Also, we have the CEO of Coolbix, Mr. Michael O, to tell us about a new hardware wallet on the markets these days called the Cool Wallet S. And after that, we have another hardware wallet company. You might have heard of them, Ledger. And in that episode, we're going to expand off the Laura Shin episode. She had a great episode, but we wanted to go a little bit deeper. And we wanted to have the listeners of Crypto 101 and the users of Ledger ask your questions to the company. And we want to welcome Eric Larsevic, the CEO of Ledger, is on the show to talk all about it. I can't wait to share those episodes with you. And before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E, Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices. Somebody asked me what Apogee Crypto was the other day. It's like Coin Market Cap, where you could check your prices, but so much more. Check them out. And I want to say thank you to Harry Foster for editing this episode. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.